celebrate Easter with you this morning, particularly if you're here for the first time. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Steve. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And there's, there's a little rumour that we might have some closet Anglicans with us this morning. Um, so I thought I'd make you feel at home. And, uh, and so, he has risen. He has risen. That was, that was terrible. <laughs> so, shall we, shall we do it one more time? I say he is risen, and you say, like you believe. Uh, <laughs> so, he has risen. Well done. Well done. So, as, um, as Pete said, we're doing a little bit of a tag team preach this morning. Uh, Mike and Kate are going to come and, and speak to us in a moment. I'm just going to, I'm kind of the warm-up act. And um, if you are a regular here uh, at Central Vineyard, you would have known that we have been exploring the, the kind of mission and vision of our church. We've just taken the last six or so weeks uh, to unpack, you know, what it is that we believe God's got for us for this season. And you know, the, the mission and vision of the church is rooted in the story of Easter. Uh, it's, it, it reaches its climax in the, in, in, in the Easter story. And so Easter weekend isn't just a bank holiday, okay? Um, I don't know if you've noticed this. It's like, it's like the first proper bank holiday, isn't it, in the start of a year, and everybody disappears. I I was able to drive my car around town this weekend and not sit in any traffic. Um, you know, people kind of disappear at Easter. It's good that you haven't. Um, but we, we realize that it's in this Easter story that, that something reaches a, a crescendo. Something happens that's, that's quite amazing. But actually, looking in, on the Easter story from an outside perspective, it also feels a little bit strange, doesn't it? So there's lots of twists and turns that take place over a three-day period, and um, lots of different unexpected things take place. And it begins in a garden. It begins in a, in a garden with Jesus and his, his closest disciples. And all of a sudden, the authorities arrive, and they arrest him. Uh, they, they arrest him because he's been betrayed by one of his closest friends. Someone who's walked with Jesus for the last three years of their lives is, betrays Jesus to the authorities. And so Jesus is taken before the Roman authorities. And he's, he's beaten to almost an inch of his life. And then he's ridiculed and mocked by the Roman soldiers. They, they place a crown of thorns on his head. And they say, you know, if you're, if you're a king, when, then you need a crown. And they humiliate him. And then eventually, he's considered guilty. And he's made to carry a cross up a hill. And he carries this cross up a hill, and then he's, and he's nailed to this cross. It's, it's lifted in the air, and it's dropped into its stand. And there, Jesus faces this humiliating and agonizing 
death penalty. And so, for a number of hours, he suffers on the cross until he, he, he speaks his last words. He says, it is finished. It is finished. And at that moment, he, he takes his last breath and dies. His body is taken off the cross and his friends place it in a borrowed tomb. And there they mourn the loss of this revolutionary, this, this Messiah, this saviour who they've followed for the last three years. The one who was going to change it all. He's dead. And then a few days later, one of Jesus' disciples, Mary, she goes to the tomb. She goes to the tomb, and the stone that covered up the doorway has been rolled away. And the grave clothes that they wrapped his body in is folded up and placed where the body lay. And her first response is, my Lord, where is his body? Someone has taken his body. Someone's stolen his body. And then she realizes this gardener, not sure what the gardener was doing there at that time in the morning or what she thought, but she realizes that this gardener is actually the risen Lord Jesus. He's alive. As the scriptures tell us, it was impossible for death to keep its hold. So God raised him from the dead. And so this is a climactic story, isn't it? It's, it's full of twists and turns, and it's, there's lots of different things going on. It looks like tragedy, but then unexpected to everyone, even though Jesus told them. He's risen from the grave. So it's a pretty... Bizarre story, even the two-minute version that I've just told you. But I guess an important question we could ask at Easter is why? Why did all of that, why did the events of the last few days have to take place? Why, why did it have to be that way? I mean, surely there was another way. Surely there was another way to deal with the issue. One passage of scripture, which is, is a really famous passage of scripture. You know, often see it at sporting events, people holding it on cards. But one portion of scripture that attempts to answer the why is John three, sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, this passage has four distinctives that, that give, give a picture to the ongoing narrative of God. What God is doing, what God has been doing since the creation of all things. And so, I, before Mike and Kate come, I just want to kind of look at that a little bit. We see that in this passage, there just there's four distinctive things that take place. 
And the first is this. It says, for God. For God. See, the story all starts with God, doesn't it? It starts with the God who creates all things. He makes all things. The universe, our world, all of creation is his. And so this eternal God, this eternal God that exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he he makes all things and then he makes mankind. He makes human beings and he makes us to be image bearers of him, that we get to bear his image. We get to be like him. And he also makes us to be in relationship with him to be connected to him. The relationship that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have, he invites us into that. We get to be part of that relationship. And so this passage begins for God. For God, a God who created all things. Creation comes from him. And then it says, for God so loved the world. See, God creates this amazing thing that he says, It's good. This is good creation. I like this. But it gets spoiled, doesn't it? It gets spoiled. And it gets spoiled by the the decisions that we make, the decisions to ignore, to disobey, to reject him. The Bible calls those things sin. It's not like a popular word, is it, sin? But that's what the Bible calls it. And And so sin enters in to creation. And it, and it causes division, it causes pain, it causes confusion, it causes sickness. And something goes wrong. And we would say that that's the fall of creation. So creation, fall. And so he says, for God so loved the world, and then it says that he gave his only son, that ever believes in him shall not perish. See, God is a God of grace, isn't he? God is this merciful being. And so he sends his one and only son. This son who has been there since the beginning of creation. He sends the son to pay a price for sin that we actually deserve to pay. And he does that so you and I are rescued from the power of sin and death. See, Jesus on the cross, he pays the penalty for our sin. And his resurrection gives us the power to live a brand new life. Gives us the power to do life completely differently. And so when we trust in the fact that he died for us, and when we trust in the fact that he has risen, we get to enter into a new way of living. The scriptures say we get to be born again, which is a bit of a strange phrase, isn't it? We get to be spiritually born again. And so we would say that that is God's redemption at work. That he's redeeming all things. He's he's making us 
new. He's, he's given us access to him again. That relationship we were created for, that through Jesus, through what he's done on the cross, is completely restored. You and I have access to the Father because of what Christ has done. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Some of you don't believe it. That's good news. This, maybe this side of the room. Um, that Jesus dies for our sin. He, he takes our place. He substitutes himself so that you and I can know God. We could be restored to what we were created to be. And so he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And it says, so that we can have eternal life. God is in the business of restoring all things, making all things new. And he starts by restoring us. He starts by making us new, new creations, new beings. He brings us back into that relationship. But he's also preparing something. The scriptures say he's preparing a new heaven and a new earth. A place where sickness, tears, pain, suffering are completely gone. They're eradicated. Where death is no more. Where the effects of sin cease. They're completely gone. That's the message of Easter, isn't it? That it's all gone. It's all dealt with. The problem is, is that the cross seems like foolishness to some. The cross is foolishness to the perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God to redeem all things and to renew all things to himself. And so we believe this message that we carry, it goes from generation to generation to generation. And that whilst, we, whilst we're still here, as the church, as his church, we have a call, don't we? We have a call to take that message somewhere. We have a call to take that message of what Christ has done and what he's going to do and how he's restoring all things to himself. And we want that message to carry on. It says this, Peter, in, in the book of Acts, he says this. He says, the promise, this good news, this, this amazing thing that Jesus do, has done is for you and your children. It's for you and your children, and it's for all those who are far off, for all, all whom the Lord God will call. That's the message we carry. We carry it from generation to generation. And so Easter, you know, we've been talking about our vision and mission as a church for the last six weeks. And we get to Easter and we realize it reaches, it reaches that point where everything we've been saying depends on today. Everything we've been saying depends on Jesus rising from the dead. And so we've said we want to give ourselves to six things in this season. That God has uh, spoke to us and said that these are the things I want you to give yourself to. The first is prayer that fuels mission. 
that we want to be a praying church, a church that gives ourselves to pray. We want to be a church invested in our communities, our networks, our neighborhoods, that we recognize the places where we are as people is the best place we can be for the sake of the kingdom. We want to be disciples that make disciples. We want to be people who are, uh, who are learning to follow Jesus and showing others the same thing. We want to release men and women to, to uh, influence and to serve and to transform nations. We want to be part of God's restoration of justice and compassion. And we want to find different ways that we can serve. Different ways that we can spend ourselves on behalf of the poor and the marginalized. And we want to invest in the next generation. We see that as vital. You know, most people turn to Jesus at the age of four, between the age of four and fourteen. And most churches have the smallest budget in the world for that age group. And so we want to figure out what it means for us to be a church that invests in the next generation. But it's all because of Easter. It's all because Jesus is risen. And so I've, I've asked Mike and Kate to come and just share with us some of their passion for the next generation. And so why don't you give a big round of applause? Right, so Steve's asked Mike and I to chat to you guys this morning about the next generation. Um, so, um, if I just read out what the statement says, it's, um, our children and young people aren't just the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. But we know uh, what we invest now will bear fruit in the future. We want to have environments where our children and young people can thrive in the pursuit and followership of Jesus, where they can fall passionately in love with him and discover the cause of his kingdom for themselves. So um, I really want to just focus on that last bit, actually, where it says that we want our children to fall passionately in love with God and to discover his kingdom, um, because I think that was the biggest challenge in that. And I thought it sounded like the hardest part of it. And I thought, okay, how do we do that? Because that's mine and Mike's job. Um, to sort of lead the way on that. Um, so I found myself asking myself a couple of questions. Um, the first being, what does it feel like to be passionately in love with something? Um, now I'm sure we could all think of examples of that and maybe, you know, you're desperate for something. Maybe you can't stop thinking about it. Maybe it's the thing that consumes you. Um, and then I thought, okay, so how do we get our children to a point where that's how they feel about God? Um, and I thought that's quite a big thing. Um, it's a big thing for us as adults. And it's a, so it's a huge thing for, for these children. Um, so I just sort of found myself thinking, okay, has this happened for us? Are we finding ourselves in that place? Um, maybe it has. Maybe you've had a revolutionary moment with God and you just fell passionately in love with him. Maybe that's a place that you've grown to over the years of your faith growing to that level. Um, 
maybe sadly it's taken some of us to have really traumatic times in our lives and maybe we've really needed to find God in a deeper way and that's how we've come to that place. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm just not there yet. Um, And that just got me thinking that actually there are loads of stumbling blocks for this and actually it's, there's lots of things that happen in life that just make that difficult. So I was trying to work out, you know, what, what it is that helps us to get to that place. And I think a huge step um, really for getting to that place is knowing who we are in God and knowing the, the reason that we were created and, and the fact that God has got a purpose for all of us um, in our lives. And actually knowing that then will fuel, fuel our relationship with him. So how do we come to a place where we know what our purpose is in God? Um, now I did some research, as you'd expect me to, for this talk, um, and I found two research projects that were really quite like-minded. Uh, one was a Lifeway one, and one was a Warren Institute one, which, sadly, um, they both sort of said about how 60% of children that are brought up in church fall away by the age of 18. And that statistic probably doesn't surprise a lot of you, because... Um, I'm sure we've known people that that's, that's happened to. Um, but I was just sort of thinking, okay, so what's the reason for this? Because we need to look at what the reason is so that we can do something about that. So I know there's lots of reasons, but these two research projects were really sort of standing out to me that, that the, one of the main aims really was is that children didn't really see the relevance of church in their life and they didn't really see that God had a part to play and Ultimately, they just didn't really have um, to, see, to see that purpose that God had for them. So I got myself sort of thinking, okay, what would God want me to share from the Bible? So next slide. Um, and, and this really sort of stood out to me. So I'm just going to read from Matthew 18, 10 to 14. Okay, it says, Be careful. Don't think that these little children are worth nothing. I tell you that they have angels in heaven who are always with my Father in heaven. If a man has 100 sheep, but one of the sheep gets lost, he will leave the other 99 sheep on the hill. He will go to look for the lost sheep. And if he finds it, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that were never lost. I tell you the truth. In the same way, your Father in heaven does not want any of these little children to be lost. Now, I know standing here that, you know, actually, we're all in agreement with this, that we don't want any of our children at Central Vineyard to be in that 60%. So I just want you to have a think of those that you might have known in the past that have maybe come along to church and been really into church but have stopped coming. Maybe... You know one of the children here that has uh, lost interest in coming along to church. And maybe you know the reason why, but maybe you don't. And I just want you to have a little think about, is there something that we could have done as a church to prevent that from happening? I really believe that if um, the children and the people that have fallen away from church knew the purpose of God in their life, that they would realise that having a a journey with people together that um, share faith with them is is a key part of growing um, deeper in their faith and that actually they would have a uh, a real pursuit for God and they'd really 
want to value discovering his kingdom so much so that they'd they'd want to take that outside of, of this setting as well, that it'd be something that they would um, be so passionate about that they'd want to share with others. Now, I really want this for our children at Central Vineyard. Um, and I'm sure that we all do. Um, so I found myself sort of thinking, okay, so we need to sort of check ourselves a bit here because how do we show that we're passionately in love with God? And, and actually, how do I show that I'm passionately in love with God? Because if I'm not showing that and demonstrating that, then I'm not leading by an example. And I was reminded of um, an occasion when Esme was very small. She was about 18 months old and it was a worship time. And I was down on my knees in worship this particular morning and my arms raised. Now, I had my eyes closed, so I didn't know what... Um, what Esme was doing but later on in the service somebody had uh, had seen what Esme had been doing and they came up to me and said oh you know it was beautiful to see um, Esme was on her knees when you were on your knees and her arms were lifted high like yours and I thought okay you know that's that's amazing because I didn't see that because my eyes were closed so then that just got me thinking okay so what happens to children from 18 months old up to the age of 18 years old and Okay, life happens. We all know that life happens for children in those years. So we've got the secular world, which is pretty much against our children. Peer pressure, which we will all know what that means. Um, worldly interests, which sometimes are really a lot more exciting than what maybe we, we can offer um, in church. Uh, growing up and hormones, don't need to say any more. Um, and pressures at school and at home, and sadly, I guess there are always pressures at church as well. Now, I was um, in a prayer meeting a little while back, and um, I was reminded that as adults, we sort of have, have got a story to tell about how we've come to our place of knowing who we are in God, and, and that might happen in your 20s, 30s, 40s, or you might be thinking that hasn't happened for me yet, which is, you know, fine. Um but I was, uh, I was just thinking, okay, so why, God, do we have to wait until we're older? Why do we have to wait until we're adults to know who we are in God and to, to find out our purpose in him? And I just felt really challenged for our children here at Central Vineyard that actually none of them would have to wait. None of them would have to wait for a traumatic time to happen in their life where they thought there must be something else I need. And that actually they would just grow up um, with the, the, cert the certainty of who they are in God. Um, and th that would just be something that would just come to them so that they could access God in all of their work, walks of life with the th challenges that are thrown at them. So I just thought, how do we nurture that? And how do we ultimately disciple them um, to, to live their lives in that way and to just know who they are in God and be concrete in that? Now, I just want you to take a moment to picture one of our children here um, at Central Vineyard. Maybe it's the one that runs into you at coffee time. Um, maybe it's the one that just sits really quietly in the corner. Um, maybe it's the real confident, friendly child that comes up and chats to everybody. Or maybe it's the shy one. Um, or maybe it's the noisy one. They've all been brilliant today, aren't they? <laughs> Wouldn't know we'd got them. Um, Okay, so if you've just pictured that child, just, um, just think to yourself, do you know that child's name? 
And if you do, do you know something about that child specifically? Something about them, maybe where they go to school or where they live? Um, And if you do know that, maybe do you know what their biggest fears are? Do you know what keeps them awake at night? Okay, I just want you to hold that thought and Mike's going to take over. Well, I would say from my perspective that um, prior to to being involved in the children's ministry and getting involved in VKs, I'd, I think I'd say that I did know a number of children, but perhaps not incredibly well. Um, and then last year, something changed for me that, that made me want to get in, involved in the work, involved in the ministry. And it was through listening to a talk by a lady called Katie Rogers, who was at the National Leaders Conference. And Kate had listened to it and... Um, it told me I had to listen to it, so of course I did, being a leading husband. And um, it had a, quite an impact on me. Katie is involved in children's ministry in her vineyard, and they went through a period of change, which was because, like many churches, they had a, a standard approach to having a curriculum, and um, I suppose your kind of classic Sunday school type approach to things. But for various reasons, they realised that, that things needed to change, and that the, the connections needed to be greater, and I think it needed to become more alive and it needed to be more united. So what they did was a lot more dynamic, and they changed their way of operating quite considerably. And, and what that sort of came up in me, what I realised was that I could have a part to play a lot more than I ever have done before. Whereas previously, I've always been passionate about these things happening. Now, suddenly, I was becoming passionate about getting involved in it and seeing it happen, rather than from a distance. Um, I realised that I could offer perhaps some of my own interests and, and skills with the, the children to connect up with them and to, to get to know them and to enjoy things like music and sport with them and so on. So I suppose you would be thinking how this would apply to you and for all of the talk that we're having today, how this might apply to you. How can we start impacting the children more? It may be that some of you are already in that place. Some of you may feel that there could be a little bit more to come. Some of you may not have even started with that. And I think that there are direct and indirect ways that that we can do that. It might be that you want to get more involved with doing particular activities to support the work that's happening with the children's ministry. Or it might be that you just want to get to know families a little bit more, maybe have more of a conversational approach. So we've got the example of um, our coffee time, our our time beforehand or during when we get drinks and, and snacks. And often when we gather, the children would gather with other children, adults with other, ch- other adults, and of course that's that's quite normal and natural and how things should be. Um, but we tend to kind of congregate, don't we? It's a bit of a, a natural interest-based thing, I suppose, chatting about football, chatting about whatever it might be. I almost said shopping, but people don't really talk about shopping that much, do they, I don't think. Um, perhaps the challenge would be, can we just tweak it a little bit, notice opportunities? So one of the things that we try and do as Christians is to, to see where God's moving and working, see those opportunities, and then just to act on them. And perhaps when you're getting a drink, you might notice one of the children getting a, a snack or a drink next to you. It might be a, a chance to turn to them, have a quick conversation. Maybe you don't know their name. You might be able to ask a little bit about how their week's been. Maybe through that, you might get the chance to offer to pray for them. Because for, for all of us, although you know, we tend to have a, um, a fairly standard view of how church is, it's still real life and there's still real life things going on. And you can guarantee that... Um, the bigger the church and the bigger the group of children, the more chance there is that there's a lot going on in people's lives. 
and there may be children, and we know there are children that have got stuff going on with school, there may be things happening with family. Perhaps through that conversation, they might just say one little thing that you could offer to pray for them, and it might not be there and then. Maybe you could take that away yourself for the week, and as you're thinking and praying during the week, pray about that situation. It might be that you get a word or a picture for a child, and you're able to then come back and the following week when you see them, or whenever it is that you then um, see them again a few weeks later, offer to just let them know that, that you had that word or picture, or maybe um, just encourage them by remembering their name, saying their name, and saying, how's that going? How's that situation going? It's, um, it's amazing how, how children feel valued by something so small like that as well, just being by recognised and, and by you remembering the conversation that you might have had. I think we all feel valued when things are followed up, but sometimes children even more so because in their lives these things can be quite exaggerated. Um, when we were talking, we realised that one of the, the kind of routines we have is that if you have a word or a picture for a child, you'd often go to the parent and then the parent would pass it on or to, to leaders and then we'll pass it on, which is... Of course, a good thing to do, but it might be sometimes that the parent or the leader thinks, well, the child's just over there, let's go together and you can deliver that, that word yourself. Because again, it can be that little bit more powerful. We recognise that when parents give encouragements, it's great. And when leaders do, it's great as well. But if it comes from the wider church, it can sometimes have more of an impact because the children can feel that little bit more connected up again. And so that's one thing we, we thought we'd encourage We've said before that it takes a village to raise a child and when we do the baptisms and the dedications we all agree to support the the family and the parents in bringing up the children and what we want to think about now is are there any more practical ways that we could make sure that's happening are there other things that we could do perhaps slightly more proactively than before um, to make sure that we are ensuring that we've got that that role in in other people's lives and that we're able to connect up with children just like we're able to connect up with the adults because it is all of our roles to invest in the next generation kate's got a poem that she'd she'd like to read out now which is from um from the talk that i referred to from katie rogers i'm just going to share this poem with you because it's something that really just sort of changed some of mine and mike's thinking um, it is written for people who are serving on kids' ministry, but we can all apply it to, to all of us. Okay. This weekend may well have just been another weekend for you, not so different from the one that came before it or the one next to come. It might be a weekend just like any other one in your life. Saturday, you might have spent some time preparing for your Sunday lesson. Maybe you were hoping to get a good night's sleep so you could be able to get up early and get to church, set up your room for the morning. You get up, your family are fed, you've got to church, ready to do your morning in kids' ministry. After church, you would have cleared up, and if it was a good week, you may have had a chance to grab a coffee and socialise. Maybe you headed out for some lunch, and then back home for a relaxing Sunday afternoon. For you, it will have just been another Sunday. However... For the kids you minister to, this may just be another weekend too. But what has been a normal Sunday for them? He will come to church after a morning of crying, after hearing his parents arguing over financial worries. She will come to church with the next door neighbour because mum is too sick to get out of bed. He will come to church suffering emotional trauma 
as he's convinced his parents have split up because of something he did. She will come to church, mourning the loss of her favourite grandparent. He will come to church hungry. She will come to church with dread in her stomach because tomorrow is Monday and it will be another whole week being called names in the playground. He will come to church never having really known what love truly is. She will have come to church afraid that someone somehow will discover her secret. But when God crosses your normal Sunday with their normal Sunday, the result can be amazing. When God gets involved, it can become anything but normal. You could be the one who introduces that child to his heavenly father. You could be the one who God allows the privilege of shining his unconditional love into that child's life. You could be the one who God works through to bring the child, bring God's kingdom to the child. You could be the eyewitness in the transformation as God gently lifts a broken soul and transforms it. This, this Sunday, you could be the person who encourages a child to be the person God intended them to be. Maybe you'll be the first person to notice what they were made for. When God crosses both of your normal Sundays, that Sunday could be a whole lot more than just one other day in the week. So we were just, just to finish, we were um, just thinking, okay, I guess the biggest question is what can we offer? And my next slide, is it up there? Okay, this is by a guy called Antoine de Saint-Exburier, if I've said that right. Um, and we, Mike and I really see this as part of the leadership team here as our role. Um, okay, so if you want to build a ship, which we do, um, don't herd the people together to collect the wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. And I think that just says a bit more about our hearts and about what we're really feeling passionately um, and you know, what we could bring to the next generation is endless, like like the sea and like the oceans. So I just want to ask you really, you know, what gifts has God given to you that you might be able to share with our children? And have you got faith that your life could affect the children here at Central Vineyard? And I really believe that God's got an agenda for our children here and that we can all be part of that. Um, I'm not exactly sure what exactly what that looks like, but I'm really willing for it to look really, really radical and very different to what it looks like now. I don't, I don't think there's any end to what it could look like. It could be as creative as, as it could be. Um, but we're just reminded that, you know, we're in a battle here um, and we need to fight that battle so that our children at Central Vineyard are not in that 60% and that actually that 60% doesn't exist anymore. And that that isn't a statistic that we that we live by that we find on um, research projects. Um, you know, our kids are, are living in a secular world, which means they're living in spiritual warfare um, every day of their lives at school and outside of this this room, maybe even sometimes in it. Um, and I just think we need to be on our knees, um, praying for the next generation for God's agenda for them, because I think this world is just getting tougher. We know this world's getting tougher. And, and obviously, as we think today about Jesus dying on the cross, he, he left behind a legacy for us to continue. And 
that is what we must do. We must continue the legacy that Jesus has left behind for us to do so that the next generation will do that for the next generation and so on and so on.